I got I to gotta do a little bit more reading this morning. Psalm 133. Find Psalm 133. And then get ready to turn to Joshua 22. Joshua is the sixth book of the Old Testament. Comes after Deuteronomy. Before Judges. Psalm is kind of the halfway point. Find Psalm 133 in verse number 1. What's the first word of Psalm 133, verse 1? Behold, okay, so that's, that's the equivalent of you saying to your child, pay attention, get this, it's important, because God said it, behold. And then he makes this a statement, makes this statement, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in, what's that next word? Unity. Unity. We're not talking about people outside of the Christian faith right now. We are talking about people that name the name of Jesus Christ. God wants them to be unified. No, don't get nervous about that. It says it right here. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Can I just tell you, churches have done more damage to their testimony in a community, not because of things happening outside of the walls, but because of things on the inside spilling out into the outside. And us claiming at work that we believe in Jesus, but the way we talk about and act towards other members of a church or of a Christian community completely contradicts the character and nature of Jesus Christ. God wants unity among his people. Now look, unity should never, unity does not mean compromise about truth that God says matters. But God loves unity. And yet I think that in the environment today, and I'm not talking about unsaved people, I'm talking about children of God we love to fight each other more than we love to love each other. Is there a time to fight? Stand up for something? Don't be afraid of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think sometimes we just want to battle more than we actually want to love one another. And people are hurt over that. We have people that are here this morning. We have people that are a part of this church family that have been hurt. Would you go to Judges, or sorry, Joshua 22? We've already preached the first six verses. Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, they, their inheritance is on the eastern side of Jordan. They've come into the western side of Jordan to fight with their brothers and sisters for the rest of the land. God has blessed them with it. Now, after, I don't remember the exact number, six, seven years, they're, they're, the battles are over and they're given permission to go home with Joshua's blessing, with God's blessing, with much riches, and they're able to go home and return to their land. And so it says in verse number nine, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned. 
And so they go back home. In verse 10, and when they came unto the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see. So they're on the western side of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to cross over, but they stop and they build this massive altar. And so then they come into their inheritance. Verse 11, the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. Okay, please get this. I'm going to elaborate on this more, but I want you to have this in your mind before we read the next verse. They know what has been done. Part of it. They don't know why it's been done. So look at verse 12. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben, into the children of Gad, into the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priestess is the grandson of Aaron, and with him ten princes of each chief house, a prince, throughout all the tribes of Israel, and each one was in head of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. So the nation that's on the western side of the river, they've gathered themselves together to go to war. A civil war is on the verge of erupting, but before they go to war, they are preparing for, but before they go to war, they send Phinehas, one of the religious leaders, and then ten princes, representatives of the tribe, to go and find out what's going on. So in verse 15, they come unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, unto the land of Gilead, and they spake with them, saying, Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, in that ye have builded you an altar, that ye might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us, from which we are not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? But that ye might, must turn away this day from following the Lord, and it will be, seeing ye rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth. And take possession among us, but rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel, and that man perished not alone in his iniquity. We're almost done, but get this. They hear about this altar being built. They know that it's been built, and they know it in times past what an altar outside of the tabernacle represents in their recent history. It represents idolatry, and their nation has suffered in its infancy because of people turning away from the true God to serve idols. So they're sensitive to this. So they send this contingent, this spiritual and physical leadership representation, this party to go and find out what is going on, what is happening. Here is a possible solution. Please don't rebel against God. But then something amazing happens. Beginning in verse number 21, 
They give Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh an opportunity to explain not only what they did, but why they did it. I'm going to spend the next at least two weeks, maybe three weeks on Sunday morning in this passage of Scripture. And we're, this is message 61 out of the book of Joshua. We're dealing with the theme, possess your land. But I want to deal with how to maintain unity within the life of a church. Because I promise you, some of our greatest battles are not going to come from without. They can come from within. And that's not new. This, this nation has already, they have seen over the course of this almost decade that has passed, they have seen God bring down walls. They have seen God defeat armies far superior in number and military prowess than them. They have seen God give them the victory. They have seen God do miracles with the sun and with the weather in order to provide them victory. They have seen God do amazing things. And yet what threatened them at this moment was not an enemy on the outside. It was an enemy from within. I'm telling you, what's happened what happened in their life, what has happened in the lives of other churches, it can happen at West Valley. We are not immune. So I want to give you a title, a subtitle to the rest of the series. That seems contradictory. But please try to process it. Fighting for unity. Here's part one to this. When you don't understand, when you think you know, but you don't understand. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. We're going to enjoy a special from uh, Miss Holly and Miss Jessica, and thankful for them. And then after this song, we'll get to the preaching. to me. 
Thank you, ladies. There's some good truth. It's heavy truth if you're paying attention to the song, and it reminds me of the hymn, I Surrender All, but it's good to consider and appreciate that very much. So, I don't know much about bounty hunters, but I was reading about them, and there's, back in 2015, there was a guy named, there is a guy named Brent Farley. And he was leading a posse made up of two different bounty hunter companies. And I'm not against them. I'm just telling you, I'm not one. And I don't know much about them. And so these two, these two companies had merged together. And they were on the hunt for a drug offender from Oklahoma that had made his way into Arizona. And so they're trying to track this guy down. I think that's a good thing. Needs to be tracked down. And uh, so they had been given a tip. And they they, that tip leads them to this house, these two different companies. It leads them to a house in Phoenix, Arizona. And so they don't just rush up to the house. They take several hours to survey the house and uh, to see who's coming in and who's going out. And sometime after dark, around 10 o'clock, they surround the house, and uh, Brent Farley, with gun drawn, goes up and knocks on the door. But it's not like a Girl Scout selling cookies. Well, I've never been on one of these. I don't imagine they gently tap on the door. They begin pounding on the door, and they hear a voice inside, but it's not the voice of the perpetrator. They open the door only to come face to face with the chief of police in Phoenix. They had been given a bad tip, shockingly on social media. One more reason you should get off of it, especially if you're going to be a bounty hunter. And instead of finding the criminal they were looking for, they met Joseph Yonner, who's the 
Phoenix chief of police, and there were several people that were then charged. And why wouldn't you be? You see, there is a danger that we assess a situation and act without making sure that our assessment is accurate. You see what these guys did, and I'm like, look, it's in, the, it's in the news, you can find it, and you say, well, you shouldn't laugh at stuff like that. Look, I'm thankful that nobody was injured, and uh, I'm going to laugh at it. Think it worked out okay for everybody, they got some problems, they're working through them, hallelujah. You should be careful about what you believe on social media. I know I've said something about that before. <laughs> But this is, this is true. If you're going to go up to somebody's front door with a gun drawn and, and you've assessed this situation, you need to do your very best to make sure that the information contributing to your assessment is accurate and that the, that the assessment is actually what you think it is. In other words, there needs to be a willingness to before we act on an assessment, to ask ourselves, do I fully understand this entire situation? Do I actually have all of the facts? And am I seeing this the right way? And it doesn't mean you don't prepare to take a stand or to have a difficult conversation or to engage in a confrontation. No, there was a willingness to do that. But you recognize there might be a possibility that I am not seeing this as clearly as I need to. It's, a, it's important not just to know what you think is going on, but to actually know what is going on before you begin to knock on a door with a gun drawn. And look, you, you understand that that would be true with, with a bounty hunter or with law enforcement and there, or with anybody engaged in that kind of work, that there, there is a weight and a pressure to assess and sometimes in very difficult situations with very limited time to assess the situation accurately. But this morning, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about us and our interactions with each other. We are going to encounter circumstances that can be very difficult and very trying, and we can have emotions stirred up, and we can have feelings that we want to react to. And it's important that we submit to a biblical process to make sure our assessment is accurate before we act on it. The land in chapter 22 has been subdued. Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh have been faithful. God has blessed them as well as the other nation. They committed that if God would give them an inheritance on the eastern side of Jordan, that they would travel over onto the western side into the Canaan land, and they would fight with their brothers and sisters until God subdued their enemies and everyone inherited their land. And so that's taken place. God has blessed their faithfulness. Now they are traveling back. They come to the eastern side of Jordan, and as we, excuse me, the western side of Jordan, getting ready to cross back into their inheritance, and they stop and they build an altar, and the text says that it was a great altar to see. This is an impressive altar, and you read down later in the chapter what I believe is an implication that it was a replica of the altar that was built back where the tabernacle was. There was something that they were that they were um, trying to portray there in order to demonstrate a connection. So here was the reason. 
we find out in verse number 23 that they say we have built an altar to, we have, that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing saying in time to come, your children might speak unto our children saying, what have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you. Ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, ye have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore, in verse 26, we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you in our generations after us that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. See, we didn't build this so that we could have our own system of worship. We didn't build this with the intention of ever offering any sacrifice on it. We built it because in generations to come, we know how fickle people can be, and we know how fickle our own nation has been. And so we built this altar as a testimony to the fact that even though we're separated by a river, we are a part of a family, and our land is over here, and your land is over here, and we're further away, and it takes us longer to assemble when we have these national sacrifices and feast, but there might come a day when your generations will say to our generations, you're on the other side of the Jordan. You're not actually in this possession. You don't have any inheritance with us. And we just want there to be a testimony, a tangible witness that we belong to you. We are a part of this nation and we have access to God and to his service the same as everyone else. The concern was that the future generations be forgotten and they wanted a witness that would testify to the fact that we belong to this nation and we have right to the service and the sacrifice of God. Well, news travels fast. I'm amazed at how quickly bad news travels. I'm amazed at how quickly what people think is bad news travels. And it may not actually have been bad news, but by the time it makes the rounds, it is bad news. And you say, well, they didn't have social media. Hey, human nature didn't need another tool for news to travel fast. So somehow this news travels fast. But I, but I want you to notice this. Go back to verse number 11. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan, at the passage of the children of Israel. Hey, you know what's not here? Why they built it. All they've heard is what they've done. And so the, the nation, and we'll talk about this, the nation assembles themselves, prepared to go to war, and then under the leadership of Joshua, Phinehas, and ten representatives of those tribes on the western side, they're sent, and, and they go and they engage in this conversation 
and, and they make this declaration that God is to be taken seriously. And our nation has suffered because of idolatry. Our nation has suffered because of rebellion. And we don't have to go back very many generations. In fact, in our own lifetime, we saw what happened to us uh, when Achan disobeyed God and how our entire nation suffered because of that. We're asking you to take God seriously. And if this is sin and if there is sin over here and there's temptation over here, then come to this side with us. But please don't rebel against God because you're going to cause damage. You're going to cause anguish. You're going to cause misery and suffering for all of us. After we've been so blessed, we're so quickly going to depart from God. So they say what their concern is. But then as I mentioned it in verse number 21, while they make some strong statements leading up to it, you understand by giving them an opportunity to respond that they're allowing this reality that maybe we don't fully comprehend this situation. And so this is what happens. The two and a half respond. As we already read, this is not idolatry. If it is, God knows and we should be punished, but this is a witness that our generation's following belong to this nation and we just want to provide some generational protection so that there can be unity among the people. And they explain the purpose. And notice what happens in verse number 30. Then it has the priests princes of the, and the princes of the congregation and heads of the thousands of Israel which were with him. Heard the words. Heard the words. It's amazing how when people are angry they don't actually hear what's being said. Heard the words. That the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Nasa spake, it pleased them. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the children of Manasseh, this day we perceive that the Lord is among us because ye have not committed this trespass against the Lord. Now ye have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. I want to walk through this for just a moment and show you what they did, how the ten and a half tribes responded to the two and a half tribes that they did not understand, when there was an action that they did not understand, an action that they were rightfully concerned about but did not understand. Number one, you go back to verse 11 and verse 12, they assemble themselves. They were passionate about the nation being right before God. Listen, I love the fact that there was an immediate response from the people to say, we can't allow this kind of behavior. If this is what we think it is, we can't tolerate that. We've got to be, able, we've got to be willing to deal with this regardless of who it is, whether it's from without or from within, we can't tolerate this. Listen, we need to have a church where, where men and women, but I especially want to encourage our brothers in a, in a society, in a culture today that is continuing to tell men you need to be silent and you don't need to lead and you don't need to have an opinion and where every sitcom wants to portray you as a doofus who isn't capable of leading your family. I want to encourage you to be a leader in your home and to be a leader in this church, not be a tyrant, but be a man who walks with God, who loves people, who demonstrates the compassion of Jesus Christ. But when something is amiss, that is willing to stand up and to approach it in a right way. 
Or any, any man that has served in leadership with me as a trustee, a deacon, they can tell you we have a conversation where there is a document that I provide with them, and we go over it every year. And one of those things that that document deals with is what to do in the event that I die suddenly, unexpectedly, and how they need to go about finding another pastor, what they need to do with my wife, what needs to happen with my children, so that we don't have to think about it. It's already in motion. But then there's another part of that document that states, this. What do you do in the event that I deviate from the doctrines, from the truth of the word of God, that I behave in an immoral or unethical way? Because it matters that men know how to protect and love this church. And look, I don't have any plan. I don't have any plans to mess up. I am working on a daily basis to walk with God. But in the event that something happens that I did fail, I want, I want men, I want men, I want men to know how to handle it in a way that is going to help me and help this church. And I love their passion. Look, sometimes, let me encourage you with this. I'm going to talk about this a lot in the next couple of weeks. I have, I have lots of people that are willing to tell me when they think something is wrong in somebody else's life. But I'm the wrong person to be talking to. If you got a concern about somebody else's life, the biblical method is for you to be willing to go and talk to them. God didn't put me here. God did not put me here to go run to this person because somebody complained about them or go run to this person because somebody complained about them. And I thank God for mature believers in this church who demonstrate that they're willing when, they, when they're working through a situation to go and have a private conversation without telling everybody else about it because that's the biblical way. So you can be passionate about righteousness and you need to be willing to stand up for things and stand against certain things. But then I love this, they didn't assume that they were right. Now, they thought they were right. No, they thought they were right. And you say, yeah, that was pretty short-sighted of them. You put yourself in that position, in what circumstance did an altar outside of the tabernacle being built ever result in a good thing in the life of God's people? Now, you can talk about Abraham and you can talk about Isaac, but those were specifically commanded by individuals. But when it came to the nation as a whole, please get this. There was a history of idolatry that resulted in the entire nation suffering. So they think they're right. But do you know why they don't automatically go to battle? Do you know why they send a committee to go have a conversation? Because they're allowing for the possibility that maybe... Maybe this thing can be salvaged. Maybe this thing can be helped. Maybe everything that we're assuming isn't exactly right. In verse number 19, we see this. They were willing to help them be right. Man, I, get, I, would, I would enjoy preaching a message on just this point. In verse number 19, notwithstanding if the land, this is Phinehas and the princes, notwithstanding if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of the Lord, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Listen, if, if the land, if, if the neighbors, if the influence of the culture is too much, then just move over to this side with us. Look, that would not be an easy thing for any of them, including the ten tribes over there, because they were going to have less space. They were going to have to give up some of their own land. But this 
this is what they're saying. We care more about you being right with God than we do us having all of the space that we want. In other words, it would be better to be crowded and blessed than to have lots of room and not be right with God. I feel like I can make some application to our current situation right now. Look, it's okay to be crowded if God's in it. And they're saying, look, we, don't, we, we want to help you. This is a great metric for knowing what your motive is when it comes to confronting evil. If all you want to do is just bash someone, that's not the same as confronting and saying, hey, I want to show you how you can make this right. Okay, maybe I need to articulate it a little better. I just want to make sure we get this point. If you're a part of this church, whether you come one time or you come a thousand times, you ever come to this pastor, and I can't speak for every pastor, I feel like I have a pretty good idea of the temperature of this church, and I have pretty good confidence saying this about most people. I can't speak for every single person, but you come and talk to this pastor about something that got messed up in your life. You come and admit before God that situations have, have declined, and I really went further than I ever thought, and it's really a mess. You are not going to be blasted. You are not going to be publicly shamed. You are going to be offered hope and help from the truth of Jesus Christ. God is all about making room for people that are hurting, and people that have made a mess of things, and people that want to be right with him. And look, I've been willing, I have demonstrated this, and I don't say this braggingly, I am willing to have the hard conversations. I'm willing to confront but what, what needs to be confronted. But there are far too many spiritual leaders who are confronting things so that they can get another notch in their belt, so they can make an example of somebody, so they can flex on people. The point of confrontation is not to embarrass, it's not to shame, it's not so that we can be impressed with how spiritual we are. The point of confrontation is to rescue people from that which can destroy them. I'm just telling you, you have a pastor by the grace of God. And I just want to get down low because I know it's by his grace. You have a pastor by, by the grace of God, his heart beats. It does not beat to shame people. It beats to rescue people. And I am willing, I have proven this to you. I am willing to confront what needs to be confronted. But it's never to embarrass or shame. You know what it is? Let's make room. Oh, I love this. I love it. No, look, they were off, but their heart is this. Their heart isn't, we want to wreck you all. Their heart is this, before we bring out the sword, we want to bring out a hug. Before we embarrass you, before we shame you, before we come and engage in a civil war with you, we want to do whatever we have to do to help you be right with God. You know what I believe? I believe that there would be a whole lot fewer victims of things going wrong if the people of God had an attitude not to fight one another first, but to help one another another first we're far too eager to start posting things listen I'm not mad at anybody that uses social media I use social media on a very limited specific basis but can I just tell you I hate the destruction that it's wrought in the lives of God's people far more damage has been done from my view than the good that's been accomplished 
And you may know that a situation's wrong, but instead of trying to whack somebody, be willing to show grace to somebody first. Make room in your life. Man, I feel like, listen, I didn't plan on staying here this long. I just feel like I need to drive this point home. Because if you're at all interested in being a part of this church, you've got to understand how we operate. People today talk about, man, church discipline, church discipline, church discipline. You know what church discipline is not for? It's not for embarrassing people and hurting people. Do things need to be confronted occasionally? Yes, but to confront something biblically means you confront it with the intent of seeing people helped. Far too many people, peop, far too many pastors, excuse me, far too many church leaders use their authority to put feathers in their cap, almost like they're, com- they're collecting scalps and showing off, man, this is who I dealt with, and this is who I dealt with, and this is who I dealt with. You know what I'd rather do? I would just rather see the grace of God deal with people because I know what I am and I know what we need, and it's a whole lot better when he helps people. I hope this is getting across clearly. Make room. Look, they were off. They thought it was one thing and it wasn't. But their heart, even with their incorrect assessment, their heart was this. We're willing to let you back over here if it will help you be right with God. Man. By the way, I love their honesty. I love Phinehas' honesty. He didn't act as though he had never suffered because of sin. Like, no, I know what this does because I've been there personally. He fought it. He had a history of fighting against it. He saw the battles. They were willing to help them be right. But then verse 21, they give them the opportunity to explain themselves. The truth is, we don't always want to hear that what we think about a situation may not be accurate. (laughs) Let me say it again. We don't always want to hear that what we think about a situation may not be accurate. Aren't you amazed at how we can just stew on something with half of the information and how hard it is to respond? Because we've been believing the wrong thing without actually doing the right thing with it. And then we're just fired up. Have you ever been there? No marriages can have a really hard time over this. There's some wives that your husband does something that you don't understand. And maybe it's right. Maybe it's wrong. Maybe you don't know what it is. But there are elements that you don't understand and yet you come to all sorts of emotional conclusions and there's a wall that has to come down. Because you don't actually want to hear what was going on. You just want what you feel to be affirmed. Look, I know that's hard, but it's accurate. There's some husbands in here. Your wife's going through some battles and you're just... You're just disgusted that she struggles without actually understanding why she's struggling. 
and you know your hobbies and you know your work and you know your car engine better than you know the heart of your wife. And you don't want to hear that what you've been thinking about her may not actually be what's going on. Look, I'm not trying to be mean here. I mean, Andrea, Andrea has watched me have to apologize to our children. And seven of them are in this room. And I've had to apologize to all eight of them individually and as an entire family. And I've had to look them in the face because I reacted to what I thought was going on. Without actually trying to find out what really was going on. I can't tell you. I've lost track of how many times I've been dealing with a situation according to what I thought. And then to have my wife's voice whisper in my ear, babe. I think you're missing something here. Sometimes we just don't want to hear what's going on. Last thing, and then I'll finish up since we're having so much fun right now. (laughs) I love this point. They were willing to believe the best about them. (sighs) Man, I could spend another 30 minutes here. You might want to start praying that I don't. (laughs) Okay, so they come and say, don't commit idolatry. What do you have to say? We're not committing idolatry. This is why we did that. You You have delivered God's people from his wrath. Just like that. You know what they were willing to do? Until proven otherwise, we're going to believe your intentions are right before God. No, do people prove their intentions are otherwise? No, don't be afraid of this. That's what the book of Judges is all about. They forgot what they learned in chapter 22, a whole lot of stuff. But but, But here, they were willing to believe, listen, there's... We see this altar, there's no evidence that they're going to use it this way. But there's also no evidence that they're not going to use it this way. What do you mean? I mean, they said that this isn't for sacrifice. God knows we built this as a witness, and because they were willing to believe the best about them, and there was no contrary evidence, they said, that is good enough for us. Now look. If there's contrary evidence in your life that leads people to have doubts about what you're doing and what your motives are, that's on you. Man, there are far too many pastors that want people to trust their motives, want people to trust their authority, but everything about their decision making speaks to the opposite of what they're saying. But if a pastor is demonstrating, I'm trying to follow the Lord, And I'm trying to do what's best for people, even in situations where you may not fully understand it, but the evidence of his life and his ministry points to he's trying to lead us in a way that is good. He's trying to minister the grace of God. Then I need to give him the benefit of the doubt. It's been hard. Andrew and I, can I just sit and talk with my wife for a sec? It's been hard at times, hasn't it? Like, you're a pastor's 
You're a pastor and a pastor's wife. What do you mean it's been hard? Guess what? I was a sinner before I was a pastor. And she was a sinner before she was a pastor's wife. You say you're supposed to be an example. We're trying to be, but it's not of perfection. You know what we've had to do? We just had to have, and you would give testimony to this, babe. I know you would. We've had to have hard, honest conversations about giving each other the benefit of the doubt, haven't we? It's hard. And sometimes we just, want, we just want to rush into judgment because of the way we feel or because of what's going on without making sure that we fully understand. And if there's evidence, if there is evidence to the contrary, then listen, you've got to deal with that and you've got to submit to it and you've got to confront the situation. But if there is evidence that this person, this person in your family, this person in your church family is trying to follow God and you don't understand what they're doing or you don't understand why they're doing it, but there's no other evidence that points to them not being obedient to the Lord or them trying to be destructive or them trying to sow division, then you need to humble yourself and say, rather than assuming the worst about you until proven otherwise I want to believe the best about you listen you can like this or not I'm an optimist about people until they give me reason to not be an optimist about them anymore because I believe in a God who wants to rescue and help people so here's the statement I already gave it at the beginning be accurate in your assessment before you act on your assessment Way too many people have gotten hurt in church life because pastors were more passionate about acting on an assessment than they were in being accurate in their assessment. No, that's a true statement. But what's true of pastors can also be true of God's people. We don't take the time. We could turn to Matthew 18, and this is what it says. When there's an issue that needs to be dealt with, you don't, you don't assume a bunch of stuff. You go and you talk to the person with whom you have the issue. Be accurate in your assessment before you act on your assessment. We got a lot of people that like hunting here. Okay. I thought we had a lot of people that like hunting here. We got a lot of people that like hunting here. The National Shooting Sports Foundation did a 2000, in 2007 did an industry intelligence report as to the leading causes for hunting accidents. Out of, out of, there's a list of four things, one of them victim being out of sight of the shooter, careless handling of a firearm, and to our young men and women, I want to say you always treat a gun like it's loaded. You say, well, that doesn't happen. No, that kind of stuff happens. A shooter swinging his gun on game and then the gun going off prematurely. I mean, that's, that's all a part of it. You know what the leading cause is, though? Failure to properly identify. You assess and then act without making sure your assessment is accurate. When we act without being accurate in our assessment, we cause great agony. We cause great harm to the people of God. In your marriage, 
Make sure your assessment is accurate. In your parenting, moms and dads, can I please, please look at me? Moms and dads, please look at me. Your kid might need to be straightened out, but you need to make sure you understand why they're struggling before you start blowing them up. Because not every act of disobedience is an act of rebellion. And this is what we treat. We treat every act the same way. And sometimes your children just are really struggling with something. And it's not that they don't need to be corrected. It's not that they don't need to be disciplined. But you don't need to deal with it as though they're being rebellious and kicking against your authority. They're struggling with things. And they're trying to navigate through things that they don't even know how to talk to you about. And it's your job to help them know how to talk to you about them. No, far too many parents just want to send the kids to the room or give them a phone or let them play video games. Take your kid out for coffee. Take them on a hike. Make them engage in conversation with you so that you can understand what's going on in their life. Don't let them spend more time on a phone than they do in conversation with you. Don't let them sulk in their room and you get frustrated because your daddy didn't treat you right. Figure it out. Have a conversation before you start ripping on your kids and making fun of your kids. And by the way, there is no reason to be abusive in your language to your children. Look, I make fun of my kids all the time. And they make fun of me. Addison the other day said to me, hey dad, you do this sometimes. You say something wrong and people laugh and you say, no, I'm serious about this. And we're all laughing because you don't know what you said. <laughs> I'm like, well, Addison, you need to be at the altar because you're a reprobate. <laughs> I'm serious about this. Look, we know how to play. We know, to how, we know how to have fun. We mess with our kids. We give our children room to playfully interact with us. But I'm telling you, your kids have a ton of pressure on them from a godless culture that is trying to turn their heart away from God. And they need a dad. They need a dad who is willing to stand up and to be a force for righteousness, but also a force for compassion in their lives. But some of you dads need to be okay with being the bad guy. But you also need to be okay being the loving guy as well. Have a conversation with your kid. Invest in them. Let them cry out to you. Force them to talk to you. You say, it's hard. Yeah, I know it's hard. Because I was one and I'm dealing with them now. I know it's hard, but it's not impossible. Far too many parents are acting without properly assessing And you, you look, you're going to turn your kids off to Christianity real quick if you just always react in anger instead of understanding what's actually going on in their life. Man, I hope this is making sense. Can I say with one another? I, just, I just need to pick on some people. Don't get offended if I call your name. Now I'm scared to call anybody's name. <laughs> I just had like 10 names go through, and I'm like, oh no, I'm so scared. Man, Brother Nate's a good song leader. He does a great job. He's not perfect. No, you know who said nope? Him. He's not, he's not perfect. 
it's possible he might do something. You're like, I don't know why he did that. I don't really like that. I have a problem with that. Go talk to him about it. And be willing to try to believe the best about him and believe that he's on a journey too, just like everybody else. Man, somebody's not going to shake your hand the right way at some point. And you know, did y'all see me when I ran down during the second song? Miss Kelly hasn't been in church for like a month and a half because of the crazy stuff going on with her hip. I mean, she had so many, so many problems with that. And I've been praying for her, and I've tried to stay in touch with her and Brother Robert. And then I, I see people over here that I need to talk to, and I see people over here that I need to talk to, and I'm like, I'm not going to get to everybody. And then I, I look back, and I'm like, ah, Miss Kelly's here for the first time, and I need to get over there and give her a hug. And so I just run down there. You know what? You're always going to be able to find some fault with me about something that I miss. Because I'm not perfect. I'm just asking you to not assume the worst. I'm asking you to not assume the worst. Before you've been able to accurately have a conversation. And what I would ask for me and for my wife, I would ask for each other. And I love what you said, Brother Max. Can't, I can't tell you how much it burns in me. I want this to be a family. And I wish, I, I wish there was something I could, some way I could say it. Yes, I, I, I want there to be, there is room for you here. You're like, there's not a lot of room. No, there's room. We'll move. We love people. We genuinely try to love people here. It's not perfect, but we care about people. We care about the work of God in the lives of people. I would ask that you give to each other the same regard. If you think something's off and going wrong, make room in your life to help them get it right. But before you act, make sure you've accurately assessed. You know, you say, what do I do? You know what the biblical example is in, number, in Joshua 22 and in Matthew 18? You know what the example is? Go have a conversation. Hey, bro, I got a concern about this. Can we just talk? Hey, pastor, I got a concern about this. Can we just talk? Hey, bro, I got a concern about this. Can we talk? Hey, sister, I got a concern about this. Can we just talk? And be willing to let God intervene in that situation. You have to fight for unity. But you know who you have to fight the most for unity sometimes? Yourself. It starts with me. Being willing to make sure my assessment is accurate before I act. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, I, I'm just thinking about that, that poor bounty hunter. God, I don't think his motives were wrong. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to judge that. I The, the law allows to one degree or another for people to pursue criminals. And I don't, I don't think that his motive was wrong. I think he was trying to, trying to do a good thing, but he acted hastily on information that he hadn't properly vetted. And it, it really cost a, it caused a, a pretty significant price. I'm thankful that nobody in that situation was hurt. God, in what was, was minor compared to what could have been. 
But then, God, if I'm honest, I think about my own impulse and my own emotions, and I feel the weight of a situation, and I begin trying to assess it. And, Father, usually my assessment has been more negative than it actually needed to be. Now, sometimes, God, it wasn't. Sometimes through the observation of evidence, through the observation of confession, it, it was a difficult situation. But even in that, we didn't deal with it to destroy people. We dealt, we've dealt with it. We continue to deal with in order to help people. And so, God, I pray that you would help us not to be so hasty to act that we are not first careful to assess the accuracy of what we think is going on. And the best way to do that is to pray and to talk to people. And yet, God, I'm not saying it's in this church, but I know that it could be one day if we don't guard against it. God, the impulse, rather than to talk to, it's to talk about. Rather than to talk with, it's to let emotion build up. God, I pray that you would help this church family to fight for unity. And that battle first begins with every individual taking responsibility for ourselves and saying, God, it may be a difficult situation, but before I act in haste and start leveling accusations and th saying things that have tremendous consequences, God, first, I'm going to assess. And the best way to do that is to pray and to go talk to the person directly. God, help us to love one another enough to do that. Help us to learn from the examples that were given in Scripture. Help us to fight for unity by fighting against our impulse to act without being accurate. God, help us to be honest with it. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I understand this isn't the kind of message that, man, we just want to hit the altar. But this is the kind of message that if we'll heed the truth of it, it can help prevent damage for years to come. It can help protect us. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be anyone who would say, I struggle with this in my life. I struggle with acting before I know that my assessment is accurate. And it might be in my relationships at home, it might be at my job, it might be at church, but I struggle. I struggle to not act before I know I'm accurate and I need God's help with it. Would you pray for me? I wonder if anyone would raise their hand and say, that's me, yep, I see them all over the place. God bless you. God bless you for your honesty. Can I ask a second question? Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. How many of you would say, I've been hurt by that? Just raise your hand, hold them up. I've been hurt by hasty assessment that wasn't accurate. Hasty action that was based on inaccurate assessment. Can I encourage you with this? Don't let that make you bitter. Let that make you soft and determined to not allow that to be true in your life. And if you're a part, whatever church family you're going to be a part of, that you do your best to protect. You're going to be here. You do your best to protect this church from having that be what's common. That we love each other enough to have the right conversations in the right way with each other. Assess. Make sure you're accurate in it before you act. Let's all stand together. Brother Nate, please sing.
If God has spoken to your heart, you come, respond to the Lord if he has dealt with you. A lot of people raised your hands. If God dealt with you, come and talk to him this morning.